Chapter 3 of the Dragons As time went on, my ancestor became known as a lord, and his wealth and power brought him to the most powerful families and their homes in France. It was during one of these parties he met his future wife, and the mother of, of his four sons. Life went on for my ancestor and my family. Sons came and war took a few. And as promised, the firstborn with the mark was given to the dragons at midnight on his 18th birthday. This has started a tradition in, with my family. It was a sad thing, really. When a boy or child was first born, if he had the mark, the family would consider him dead at birth. The only reason he was given everything he wished for was because they knew he would be a burden for a short period of time. Most other families the dragons have helped have had, at some point in time, stopped giving the gift of their first sons. Because of this, they have lost their wealth and their power and their standing. Unlike them, my family will do anything to keep their wealth and power. The cost of one of their children was no matter to them. Hell, I can remember my, say my mother saying once, if, it were, if her children were to die... She could just go out, buy two or three more, and this way here she could get them any color to match whatever outfit she chose for that week. That's the kind of family I had the misfortune of being born into. Lucky me. So this is where I began to try to find out what the hell the dragons are, and where they come from. How the hell do I kill them? And at the same time, just plain fuck my mother and father over just because they deserve it. It's kind of a funny thing, really. My father sent me to a school in the south of France. He told me being away from my family builds a strong man. Builds character, but not one given to emotion. So, I went to school. In the 12 years I spent in school, I only went home for the holidays twice. Most of the other time I spent in the school library or roaming the halls of the ancient buildings. Some of the time I could be found in the forest, which seemed to hold the mountains and the valleys in their grip. I would get a call once in a while from my mother, usually when she was feeling guilty for dumping her firstborn in the school, or to forget about the, about the last two years I'd started hanging up. Before any more than four or five words were spoken, I'd had enough, and I'd just hang up on her. This angered my father, and he called the school headmaster and had demanded I start speaking to my mother when she calls, so I was given a talking to about my responsibility to my family. He went on to tell me that it was never easy for a mother to leave a child. He was shocked when I told him for her it was a piece of cake to leave me behind, that I held no more love for my her or my family. They were strangers to me. Sir, this might sound cold-hearted. But I do not wish to ever hear that woman's voice again, I said, looking at the headmaster in the eye. To his credit, he just nodded and leaned back in his chair. Well, who can blame you, really? You've been here with me for twelve years, and in that time I can only remember you going home twice. Maybe. So I cannot sit here and lecture you on how to act towards him. For Mr. Norman Dew had finished and... He had wanted to say he simply shuffled some papers as a sign that I could leave. Still furious, my father would call the school and complain about the way his wife was being treated by their son, whom they not sit, 
seen fit to visit for four years was burning me. When Lisa, one of my oldest and dearest friends, grabbed my arm, she could tell I was upset. She let go of my arm and just walked beside me for a while. She was a good person, a great friend. Her and Jack were my only real friends there. They were the ones who knew what my family was like. Well, not the whole sacrifice your firstborn thing, son thing, and so I could have his heart cut out, so you can keep your money. At this point, I didn't even know about that. They just knew how I felt about being dumped here and forgotten about for so many years. Lisa was sent here to protect her, her from her father's competitors. His company was the largest computer and software firm in the world. Uh, from the day she was born, her mother and father had to ha keep her under a blanket of security. It's only at school Lisa can move around without her armed guards. And there's Jack. He is the best kept secret in the world. And I kid you not, he is the best kept secret in the world. He is the son of JFK Jr. Well, we'll just let that sink in for a second. The grandson of John F. Kennedy. His family hid Jack here to keep him safe from the assassins who killed his grandfather and, and granduncle, along with his father. They're great at making his father's death seem like an accident, a careless plane crash, driven by a man's ego who shouldn't have been flying in a stormy night. Even these two haunted and hounded friends of mine get to go home for the holidays. Their families always offered to have me spend time with them, but I refuse, knowing it would anger my father. And I don't care if it angers him, but I don't. I worry about what he'd do if he thought one of the families were trying to embarrass him, or the family, or usurped his authority. So I sit alone, and the hatred for my father and mother grows. However, here, of late, the woman who gave birth to me had tried to call on me several different days of the week. At first, I thought her guilt about abandoning her first son must be getting to her, and she needs to appease her guilt. Then my father called for the first time in two years. I decided to talk to him. The call was short, to the point. He told me when my mother calls, I was to pick up the phone on the first ring, and I was to be nice to her. It was about the, that point in the conversation I informed my father that he could jump right up and go fuck himself, and I hung up. If I'm going to be honest with you, that probably wasn't the smartest thing I could have done. Lisa had overheard the end of the conversation. She wasn't eavesdropping. Seeing I was shouting in a raid in her room and my room share a wall. So being the great friend she was, both her and Jack knocked on my door and they walked in and sat and listened to me vent about my fucked up family. This was a month before my 18th birthday. And what I know now, I should have been my last birthday. This is the story of a fight to survive monsters. The, you know, the rip your heart out kind of monsters. The fight to survive a different kind of monster. My family kind of monsters. Probably the most evil sons of bitches you'd ever meet in the face of the earth. I, I like the dragons better than my family. I hate them both, so we'll go from there. My birthday falls on the start of summer, June 21st. As it turns out, I was an afternoon baby. As it also turns out, that is the day after I would have graduated from school and would have gone off to university with Lisa and Jack. 
However, a month before graduation, I started to see strange people lurking in the forest surrounding the schools. At first, I was worried for my friends, knowing how many threats surrounded them each day. But every time I tried to show one of the strangers to Jack or Lisa, they would vanish like a mist over a lake as the sun comes up. One night, I came awake convinced somebody was watching me through my dorm window. The only fleeting image I could remember was a pair of yellow eyes. After that night, I started to bolt my window and draw the curtains. I started to check and recheck my room every night and check the halls outside my door. It seemed paranoia was firmly had me in its grip. A week before the graduation, my mother tried to call six times. I decided to pick the phone up in the sixth time. I was shocked to hear her rage at the phone not knowing I had answered. What I heard ended what little eh, feeling I had for my family and that bitch. I heard her tell my father it would be cause for celebration the night the beast take my heart. She wished she could be here to so see it happen. I know nothing was more than expense the family didn't need. I thought about calling back and screaming her it would be being an inhuman bitch, and I thought about it. I know I didn't need my family or their money, for over the years my father had sent me a fortune. I thought it was to ease his guilt, but hearing what I heard over the phone, I knew it was a payment for services rendered, so to speak. Looking around my room, I knew I wouldn't miss anything here. It was all throwaway stuff. The only things I had that I couldn't do long without were Lisa and Jack. If right on cue, <laughs> Lisa walked in my door. I take it you heard the big bang, huh? I asked as she swung the door open. Oh, yeah. What the hell happened? Jack asked as he came in. Well, it seems I've been nothing but a burden to my family. A mistake. From what the crazy bitch said when she forgot to hang up the phone, she didn't realize I had answered. I could hear every word she said. Bitch, both my friends said at the same time. So now I need to find a bank where I can hide my money, one my father has nothing to do with. Standing looking out my dorm room window, I was unaware I was being watched from the tree line. The creature kept to the shadows, staying far enough into the forest so the sunlight of the afternoon didn't lay on his skin. If you want, I can ask my father if he can help us and maybe move some money for you, Lisa said as she walked over to me. No. No, I can't get either of your families involved in this. I know your mother and father, and I know they will try. And if they do anything and was found out, and by... You know, my family, they could be bad for them, and I couldn't have that. Well, this is complete bullshit, pal, Jack stated. I know, but for some reason I think I can get away with a hideout for a year or two. I think I'll be safe. You're not going to leave before graduation, are you? As she turned around and looked to Jack for help, if I said I was. No, I'm going to stick around for that. It would seem suspicious if I up and disappeared. In hindsight, I should have taken off that night, nor the next morning. However, I was naive, so I spent the time between the school and the bank in the small town that housed the school. I thought it was a small town in the southern part of France. It boasted some of the best personal security on the planet. My father had never taken my safety for granted. I had a team of men he had hired away from the United States Secret Service for my bodyguards. When I wished to go to town, they would be with me every step of the way. Hell, I couldn't even go to the bathroom alone. 
That's how sad my life was. Looking back at that time in my life, I know the security wasn't for me. It was for my mother and father. It was for their safety. It was to keep my heart and virtue intact until it could be harvested. Yeah, that's what I said, harvested. That's what I came down to. The school, my friends, and I, the small town of Gadir, I love this part of France. The town itself was in the Parc National de Paris at the foot of the mountain, Mastif du Nouvelle. It was being such a small place and a beautiful spot in the mountains and the Pyrenees. I would have a hard time coming and going without being noticed. So, I would have to do everything with my security team hovering over me the whole time. On my first trip into town, I went shopping for what I thought would, I would need to get me through the mountains. A backpack, sleeping bag, good hiking boots, warm clothes, and assorted goods, foods, well, mountaineering stuff, MREs that are light to carry. Some of my security team became curious at some of the goods. You plan to go somewhere we need to know about, Rod? John, the head of my security, asked. Yeah, that's on the ride back to school. So I smiled at him, thought up something quick, and I said, well, after graduation, Lisa and Jack and I are planning to do some hiking through the mountains. You know, to see if we can find some ruins of the Greeks or Phoenicians who first settled this region of modern France. I answered, I knew when I started spouting history or some other obscure facts about France, most of the team would shut me out and resort to their internal monologue. John was different. He'd say, you just let me know so I can have it checked out first, okay? It wasn't a request, so I nodded, turned to watch the forest pass by my window. Second and third trips into town were the bank to transfer funds into another bank. This bank is on the small but very rich island of in the South Pacific. The monarch who rules this island is no dumb native. He was educated in England and the U.S. He knows their tax laws and has opened his island to the richest men and women of the world. It took some doing, but I finally reached the ruler, the head banker of the island, and explained everything to him. I used his extreme dislike for my father to win him over, though he wouldn't give me an answer over the phone in our first meeting. He told me he would be in contact with me in a week. Good to his word, the call I was waiting for came in. And I almost jumped for joy when he told me he had accepted my money and that he would personally invest it for me. Sir, you have made my starting a new life easier. I thank you ever so much. No, son, he said in his deep voice. You should have not have to live away from the family you have. Now the next communication we will be through one of my people in your area. I wish you luck, Rod. I didn't trust my father or mother, so I had Lisa buy me a burner cell phone on one of her trips to town, and it was this phone I used to do all my banking on. By the time graduation came, I was ready to start my run. The run I should have started a month sooner. That's the end of the chapter. Next time, we'll see how Rod does. All right. Thank you. Bye.